In this life, no one escapes suffering. We all suffer at some time and in some way. And we all confront the questions of why we suffer and how we suffer. Join us today as we examine the age-old mystery of suffering with Jeff Cavins, author of the new book, When You Suffer, Biblical Keys for Hope and Understanding. I'm Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. Franciscan University Presents. I'm your host, Michael Hernan, uh, Vice President of Advancement here at Franciscan University. And today we'll be talking about a topic that I think is, is pertinent to everyone, suffering. And I'm joined here in our studios by our regular panelists, Dr. Regis Martin, Professor of Systematic Theology here at Franciscan University, and Dr. Scott Hahn, who holds the Father Michael Scanlon Chair in Biblical Theology in the New Evangelization, again, here at Franciscan University. And no stranger to the EWTN or to Franciscan University, uh, Jeff Cavins, you're a former Protestant pastor. You got your MA in theology here at Franciscan. Um, I'm a big fan of the Great Adventure Bible series that you created. And we're here today talking about your latest book, uh, Biblical Key, or uh, When You Suffer, Biblical Keys for Hope and Understanding. Good to be with you. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for joining us. Um, so so you, you talk about a distinction in your book um, about the feeling good and living well. Um, What's the distinction there? I mean, it, it, we're talking about suffering, so let's well, I think the start big, there. Thank you. I think the big, the big problem for modern man when it comes to suffering is that they acknowledge the fact that, that Jesus died for them. He right. died for, for their sins. And if he died for their sins, he died for their sins because he loves them. And if he loves them uh, and died for them, he wants them to be happy. Right. And uh, if uh, the modern notion of happiness is that if I'm happy, I'm not going to suffer. And right. that's why God died for me, that I wouldn't suffer. And ultimately that's true in, in that he, he deals with definitive suffering or eternal suffering. Mm. But if man thinks that, uh, that uh, happiness is equivalent to not suffering, then the modern man puts himself in a position where he can never be happy. Yeah. But the ancient notion and the biblical notion really is that happiness comes from living well or living right or living righteously, living before God. And in that situation, you can suffer and at the same time experience deep happiness. Yeah. You know, that point yeah. I think is worth emphasizing because it isn't just a Christian notion. Yeah. You know, in a, in a pre-Christian context, great philosophers recognized that a life of goodness is the only source of happiness, right. not pleasure. I mean, there were Epicureans who said, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But the fact is, Plato and Socrates and Aristotle and others recognized that, that that's dehumanizing, that's sort, of, that, that's sort of hedonism, that what ennobles us is the pursuit of goodness and the attainment of virtue. And you know, I, I think you, know, you make that little interior adjustment and then you realize also that when it comes to everything else in life, what Nautilus used to say, no pain, no gain, applies. I mean, yeah. suffering has a purpose. You know, Nautilus did the exercise equipment. Yeah, <laughs> right. You know, you know, <laughs> which ends up in the garage sale. <laughs> Let me make uh, two quick points, which I, I think uh, uh, are in reaction to what you've, uh, what you've said. And your book is a wonderful illustration of it. Uh, 
you would have to repeal the entire human condition to rid man of suffering. To be alive is to suffer. I mean, you carry your death before you. It's the final cancellation. Awareness of that end, mortality, uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, induces suffering, at least the suffering of anxiety, fear of, of what is to come. Uh, and the Greeks, I, I think, had the sense of it when they, when they identified eudaimonia as happiness governed by reason. It's not a warm puppy. It's not a warm fuzzy. Uh, to be fully alive is to include uh, suffering, make provision for pain. But the other point, of course, uh, the Greeks were utterly unaware of, and that's the Christian point, that Christ redeems our suffering. He doesn't eliminate it. He fills it with his presence. And that's the sort of mystery that I think is worth exploring. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, that uh, if, if people cannot attach meaning to their suffering, they can go into despair. But if they can attach meaning to their suffering, they can go through anything and, in fact, do go through a lot. Uh, for example, uh, we have children and our children suffer. And what's one of the first things we say is that uh, I would rather it be right. me right. in a substitutionary way. And there is meaning. If I could take it, it would mean something for you. Yeah. And, and, and so our whole world uh, really is trying to flee from suffering in a lot of ways. Yeah. And, and even, even well-meaning Christians believe, you know, as you said, uh, that God has saved me. Therefore, I should be free from this pain. I mean, the, kind of the health-wealth gospel uh, right. that time. And, and, our, and, our, and our practical modern theology puts us in a situation where uh, it, we can't win. Yeah. We, we cannot yeah. be happy. Or if we're going to be happy, maybe 30% uh, uh, of our life is what we would call ideal. Things are going well. I'm right. in my wheelhouse, you know, and yeah. I, I'm affirmed and so forth. But the rest of it, I'm just merely putting up with with life. And I think one of, the, one of the contentions that I would make is that Jesus came to do more than, uh, to do more for you, and he, he died not that you would just put up with life. Yeah, right. yeah. Yep. yeah. You yeah. know, in, in terms of recurrent uh, bouts of suffering, which we are all condemned to face, probably the most obvious one is, is giving birth to a child, yeah. which none of us can really identify with, uh, except Not vicariously. Here. But the, the, the woman bears that pain for the sake of the child. There's a good that is somehow implicit in this pain. Not that she embraces the pain, she endures it. Uh, it's a passive diminishment, but she recognizes that there is good on the far side of this suffering, and it's worth it. Yeah. At the same yeah. time, you know, you're pointing out different kinds of suffering, physical yeah. suffering, moral suffering, you know, and then you also cite John Paul, definitive suffering. You know, we speak about attaching meaning to suffering, but it isn't always so easy as to connect the dots, you know, A, suffering, B, meaning, you know, I'm going through labor pains, I'm going to have a baby, you know. So often we're going through suffering and all we can do is to extend a line of credit to Almighty God and say, I hope you know why right. I'm doing this right. sort of That's thing. Right. And it isn't just, you know, well, it's because you sinned and others too, and so I'm getting even. You, you go all the way back to the garden and you realize that when man, when God said, it is not good that man is alone. Now, the, the quick and easy solution is, well, that's why, you know, she came around so that Eve and Adam, but even still, I mean, if Adam was the only person who existed and he was enveloped into the beatific vision of the Holy Trinity, you know, God would not say, well, it is not good for him to be alone because he wouldn't be alone. He would be in the communion of the three persons of the Godhead. I think what this does is it shows us that even in paradise, we're not at our final destination. Mm. You know, entering into the Trinity is not plan B. 
And even if Adam would have passed a polygraph saying, you know, paradise, this is my final destination, God is saying, no, it's not. You know, this is a state of probation. I'm going to prove and test your love by giving you a bride worth living for and dying for and all of that. But I, I just think that we don't recognize how deeply embedded this is. You know, Hebrews 5, verse 7 and 8, one of my favorite verses, though a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. It was like, yeah. you know, yeah. what? Yeah. You know, if Jesus assumes our humanity and can only express his divine sonship through human obedience by means of suffering, we have to go back to square one and rethink everything. Yeah, yeah. Let's go back to something you started with, Scott. Um, the, the types of suffering that you talk about in the book. Um, right. You can just explain some of those types and why, sure. why well, they the, matter. <laughs> there are two types of suffering. There are two, ki uh, two kinds of suffering. There is, there is physical suffering, which all of us have experienced right. due to the fall. I mean, there, we're subject to this and this disease and so forth. And so we got physical suffering, but we also have what uh, St. John Paul II called moral suffering, yeah. which is a suffering of the heart, uh, right. the emotions, the loss of a loved one, betrayal, um, discouragement. And so you have these two, ki these two kinds, of, but then he goes deeper and says there's two types. Yes. Well, and one is temporal, but the other is definitive, yeah. and that's forever, and that's forever and ever and ever. And that's really what his actions are pointing to is that he does love you. He doesn't want you to suffer yeah. forever and ever yeah. and ever, yeah. and he employs the physical suffering, and he employs that suffering of the heart, and so does his mother suffers yeah. in the heart and uh, addresses this issue of of definitive suffering in our life. Because right. we don't it, want definitive suffering. No, no, and it's no, important, I, I think, to uh, make uh, clear the distinction that if you get definitive suffering, uh, final separation from God, it's self-chosen, yes. self-inflicted. Right. I mean, God is not doing this That's to right. you. you. You have done it to yourself. Right. I mean, this illustrates what, what C.S. Lewis calls the terrifying compliment. Mm -hmm. God takes us so seriously as spiritual beings that he allows us even to spit in his eye, you know, to burn the last bridge uh, to beatitude. We can do that. We can disappoint sure. God by taking ourselves to hell. That's definitive suffering. Mm -hmm. You know, there's yeah. another aspect to it besides the eschatological, the everlasting form of definitive suffering. That is, when John Paul speaks of definitive suffering as the loss of eternal life, we forget that that is also experienced on the installment plan, gradually. Because when you commit mortal sin, yeah. you have snuffed out God's life in the soul. Yeah. You have lost eternal life. Now, there's a, there's a gracious sacrament for that, the medicine of divine mercy. But I think what this is meant to teach us is to, is to detest suffering in all of its forms, but to dread offending God more than we dread physical yeah. pain, yeah. or even the pain of the soul that the loss of eternal life is, reasonably speaking, absolute and ultimate in a way that no other form of suffering is. Yeah. And there's just nothing. I mean, it's, it goes back to the weakness of our own nature that doesn't perceive that sort of loss as that big of a thing. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. So, so on this earth, we really experience mostly temporal suffering, right? right? You know, and there's the moral and there's the physical. Is there a connection between the moral and the physical? Is that, um, is it simply when we're watching someone else suffer? Is that a, a moral uh, connection between the... Well, I think there, there can be a connection between moral and physical suffering. If somebody 
Uh, for example, a, a number of years ago, I went through quite a neck problem where my neck was fused. I went through nine months of pain. In fact, during that period, you and I spoke on the phone many nights and spoke about suffering and what does it mean to offer it up and how do you do it? And right now it's up here and I can, I can even have a CD on it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I can't get it down here and I can't, I can't implement this in my, in my life. And, and I hurt really bad. Mm. But then there started to, to become a suffering of the heart at the same time mm. of wondering, uh, you know, Ecclesiastes 3 says that eternity is written in our hearts and somehow, some way deep inside there's this knowledge that I'm going to live for eternity and I realize my current condition, how long, oh Lord, will this last? And I'm only in my 40s at the time yeah. and I'm thinking, is this the way it's going to be in my 60s, in my 70s, in my 80s? And I began to take on a little bit different kind of suffering. And I think that pointed to this, this deeper reality of, what if I did experience definitive suffering? Mm. Oh my mm. word. Mm. And so I, I think oftentimes they're, they're, they're combined, yeah. you know, or the guy that breaks his legs in an accident or he becomes to. a quadriplegic and thinks, I won't have a job. And right. plus and there's also, almost too, yeah. it's, 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 it's a kind of two-way thing because on the one hand, if you commit a moral evil, moral, you know, you're speeding or you're driving drunk, then the pain in the neck, yeah. you know, the whiplash or whatever, you know. Yeah. Not is, suffering for doing right. That's right, yeah. <laughs> that's right. There's cause and effect then it goes in different directions, you know. Right. And I think we experience both, but I think the instinctive tendency is to think that punishment, suffering, go together. That God wouldn't cause us to suffer unless there was something to punish us for, right. you know. Yeah. And that's what we Amen. have to overcome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because there is that, that, that temptation to think that it's, I mean, because in a certain sense we do deserve any suffering we receive on some level, we, re we, we deserve it. Yeah. But in other ways, it's not a, a vengeful, punishing right. God that's right. seeking to inflict. And I, and I, think, and I think that the, the, this uh, old notion of nominalism, this, uh, there's no absolutes and, and God is arbitrary and one day he might be comforting me in my suffering, the next day he might be saying, you know what, you kind of deserved it yeah. and, and, and hit me over the head. <laughs> and I'm God, I can do that. I can now. do that. That's and right. I think that that comes from really a lack of understanding of, uh, of who he is uh, is a paragraph in 236 of the Catechism says that we know the theology, we know the heart and the mystery of the Trinity, but we also know the economy or the plan of God. Mm -hmm. And so we can come to know Him. And in the midst of our suffering, there can be a trusting. There can be a, a, a trusting, but if we don't have that, boy, it's like, it's right. kind of like an open game. You know, the scriptures are pretty clear about this, that the wages of sin, uh, their death. That's right. Uh, and the devil and, and this definitive loss of God forever. So. Uh, I mean, the pain that we experience is really a foreshadowing of the death that we inherit because of sin. Mm -hmm. uh, th this is what we have to take ownership of, responsibility for. I mean, the guy who's suffering from cirrhosis of the liver uh, may have made certain choices to become an alcoholic, and so there's a connection. Just as between the mind and the body, there is some connection, Definitely. some nexus. Mm -hmm. So in a way, you pay uh, for your misdeeds in the body, but those misdeeds originate uh, in the soul, in the choices that you make. It's all of a piece. Yeah. It, briefly, uh, when we think of suffering, I mean, for, for Christians, we often think of Christ's suffering. You know, what is possibly the greatest lesson we can learn um, in light of suffering uh, for his in, death in on the cross? Seconds. In 30 yeah. seconds. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll probably have to talk about this after the break, but yeah. what I would say is the greatest lesson is the lesson of love. Mm. And it's the lesson of Christ sacrificing himself and giving himself for us 
um, to redeem us. And the question comes back, well, why didn't you, why did you suffer? Why not write a check out? Right. Or why not just wave your hand and say, it's all forgiven. It's all forgiven with a wink of the eye. Yeah. And the, the, the truth of the matter is, is that this is the heart of the Trinity, mm. love, willing to suffer and pour oneself out. Mm. And that gets into what we, what we talk about later, which is, well, what's our role then as the body of Christ? If he suffered, why aren't I just living in a bowl of cherries now yeah. with all the benefits, which is a, a modern, popular American gospel that people can see on TV every weekend. Yeah, yeah, so good. Stay with us on Franciscan University Presents. I'm a member of Rosa Mystica Household here at Franciscan University, and one of our charisms is redemptive suffering, which means that our suffering is no longer meaningless, but we can unite it to the cross. When Jeff Cavins was talking about what Bishop Fulton Sheen said on how we can't be prepared for death unless we practice for it, and practice for it comes through uh, dying to ourselves daily and taking up our cross like, like Christ did, it really struck home because that's how we can really speak to the world and say, you know, our faith is not a fairy tale, it's real, and through all the suffering that it might entail, despite all of that, it can be beautiful and it can be worth the while. People recognize Franciscan University as being academically excellent and passionately Catholic. We have the unique opportunity through our faculty members, through our students, to proclaim that academic excellence by reaching out in many different ways. We also remain passionately Catholic in the way in which we are able to worship, the way in which we are able to bring that love of Christ to others on a daily basis. It's important for us to be able to embrace both. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We've been talking with Jeff Cavins about his latest books, When You Suffer, uh, Biblical Keys to Hope and Understanding. Um, Jeff, uh, let's go back to the beginning. Um, you know, is there a connection historically uh, with Adam and Eve and the fall and what we suffer today and, and our lives today? Sure. Well, there is a connection, and, and uh, like so many things in our faith, we go back to the first few chapters of Genesis, and we see in kernel form the play and the plot yeah. and, and so forth. And at the very beginning, you know, Adam is given this task of guarding and taking care of the garden. He has his wife, and, and he's told, really, that you, you can eat of any tree, but this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you can't eat of it, and the day you eat of it, you will die. Well, they eat of it, death sets in. And, uh, and suffering is a result of sin. It is a result of, of sin, clearly. But right away, we see that God attaches meaning to their suffering. So uh, mm -hmm. Eve gives birth to a child. She experiences labor pain. But out of that labor pain, well, she, she loved her husband. The result of the love is a child. Right. But that child comes into the world through pain. So mm -hmm. we learn this early lesson that out of suffering comes fruitfulness. And mm. Adam works in the field, sweats, the thorns and so forth, and out of that comes bread. So right away we see that, that there's almost a remedial course that they go into where God said, I, you missed something in yeah. your earlier decision yeah. here, yeah. and you may have had to suffer, you may have had to stand against the, the, the enemy, but you, you chose the creature rather than the creator. You lost your trust in me, pride entered in, this is the result, but I got a plan already. Right. And ultimately that plan is mentioned, you know, in Genesis 3.15, and that ultimately that plan 
will bring victory, but it will bring a bruising to the seed of the woman, but the enemy will be crushed. Interesting. interesting. You know, there is a, a transparent overlay. In other words, I want to kind of build on what you said to supplement, uh, but not to subtract. Um, because when he said, on the day you eat it, you'll surely die, in Genesis 2.17, you know, and the serpent turns around and says, you won't die. And when they don't die, you know, you kind of wonder. Because he could have said, on the day you eat of it, you'll begin to die. You'll be sentenced to death. You'll deserve to die. But he says, on the day you eat of it, you'll surely die. I think the key to verse 17 is backing up 10 verses to verse 7, where God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life, and so he became a living being. Because the life of man was not just breathing oxygen like the other animals. It was breathing the, the breath of God's spirit, the spirit of divine life, divine adoption. And so if that's the case, there's a mystery here of faith and life. There's life that's natural and human, but then there's a life that's mm -hmm. divine and supernatural. And, and when, they, when they committed this sin, which 1 John 5, 16 and 17 would say, a sin unto death. We translate that mortal sin, but it's a sin unto thanatos. It's the same term in the Greek translation. The day you eat of it, you'll surely die. Mm. So they lost not human life, but they did lose divine life, which isn't less of a death. It's a far greater death. They, in a certain sense, entered a pact with the devil to obey him and to commit suicide, spiritual suicide. And then all of the other forms of death catch up. Right. But I think this is why Trent and the Catechism both identify original sin as the death of the soul. And then the death of the body ensues gradually. But this, you know, if you were to weigh this on a cosmic scale, that's death. You know? yeah, yeah. And, and then all the other forms of death are sort of remedial or at least hopefully medicinal. And, and I think that mystery again shows us that you know, entering into divine life eternally within the Trinity is not plan B. And, and, and so there was a mystery of faith even before there was a mystery of iniquity. And you know, it, it takes a great deal of faith because even Adam, I think, had to end up going through the dark night of the senses and the soul if he had passed that test. But ultimately, we don't have to speculate because we have a new Adam. And he undergoes the same test. And in a garden, as you point out, you know, the garden of Gethsemane, yeah. but he gives consent to obedience and ends up going to the right tree, right. you know, which is the crucifixion, you know, the, the tree of life, and the Eucharist is the fruit of the tree of life. But I, I think only when we read this in the light of Christ do we say, aha, that makes sense, that makes deep sense. And that's what St. John Paul II said. He said, you can only make sense out of suffering if you first understand the suffering of Jesus. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Otherwise, it's a, it is totally a mystery and loss. Yeah. But there is, I think, some uh, healthy extent uh, to which uh, even non-Christians can appreciate uh, the point of pain because it reminds us uh, that we're dependent. Uh, and that failure to know uh, his dependency upon God is what caused Adam to fall. Uh, and the result, of course, is the loss of, of, of happiness, wholeness, uh, and this uh, journey into death. Mm. And so every hurt, every setback is a reminder that uh, really nature is the enemy. Uh, and if we're not uh, cognizant of that, nature will win and destroy us. And so we have to reach for something more. But that, I think, is the acknowledgement of one's creaturely condition. I depend upon God. And if, if death is just nature's way of telling us, you know, really you should slow down, mm -hmm. then to be dependent upon grace, upon God, is the only way to overcome death, mm -hmm. to restore uh, that, that wholeness that Adam and Eve lost uh, in the unpleasantness of the garden. So death and pain can be sort of salutary 
they instruct us in the ways of uh, brokenness. Yeah, yeah. I, it's still, you know, when we look at Adam and Eve, God gave them that choice. Mm -hmm. You know, He was given them an opportunity. And, you know, you almost, some people will wonder, well, one, why did that choice get passed on to us? And two, why would God give them the ability to even make that choice? Wouldn't He want them just to be happy? Isn't it just a snap of His fingers and say, you can't even choose to not be happy by, by choosing the fruit of good and evil? Sure. Well, yeah. it's, it's the big risk. You know, God did not create Stepford children. Yeah. <laughs> Programming. <it>. Exactly. <laughs> And, and we don't, ultimately, we don't want Stepford wives. You know, we want, we want wives that choose us. We want yeah. a bride that chooses us, loves us, makes a decision to move towards us, to Free hold us. Choice. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, we're created in the image and likeness of God, and, and uh, God created us, uh, we were created by God, yes, but we were created for God, mm. and to give ourselves to God, and to enter into the life of the Trinity. The very first paragraph of the Catechism brings it out, you know, that, uh, that God, was, uh, God was doing fine, <laughs> but He chose to create us. And the, the goal was that He would come looking for us and He would adopt us and bring us in to the blessed life of the Trinity to experience that, that life with Him. And that comes by a choice. My wife did not show up under duress at the wedding day. She made a choice to come and to love me, and I made a choice. And that bridegroom relationship is a reflection of God's relationship with, with us. Mm. It's beautiful. You know, we we yeah, often assume that when the tempter said, you shall be like God, that, that the man and woman gave consent to something that was just an illicit desire. But the fact is, if God made us in His image and likeness, you know, no one wants us to be like God more than God. And yet the problem, of course, is, as the Catechism puts it, that we chose to be like God, but without God. Therein lies the pride and the disobedience. We wanted something that was eminently desirable, but only if we were divinized, yeah. only if God gave us what we lacked. You know, you, you said something very striking uh, early on uh, about the relationship between God and Adam. You insisted that it also included Eve. Yeah. and that he neglected Eve. He abandoned her uh, at her hour of most acute need. He left her mm -hmm. to the devices of, of the devil. He ought to have been there to protect her. He was only interested in himself. That's right. Actually, you know, when you look at the exchange in Genesis 3, the devil is always using second person plural terms, implying that he is there. Yep. But his silence is damnable. Yep. Because, you know, at this point he might be thinking, well, wait a second, you know, I, 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 don't, you know, I, I don't stand a chance. And he didn't have a prayer, he might have thought, but that's exactly what he did have, but right. didn't say. You know, yeah. If he had prayed, you know, he would have learned what our Lord taught us, that greater love hath no man than to lay down his life for his beloved. That's right, right. right. And he refused. And he refuses. Yeah. Yeah. So looking at Scripture. And we do too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> looking, looking at Scripture, uh, go, fast forwarding a little bit from Adam and Eve, are there other models uh, from the Scriptures, from the Bible, that we can use for, for men and women who have handled suffering, have dealt with suffering? Sure. Well, if, Yes, there are. I mean, we have obviously the Blessed Mother. And mm -hmm. the Blessed Mother is, is probably the best example of anyone outside of Christ who, even from the beginning, when, uh, you know, at conception, she was told that, uh, that you're going to suffer as a result of this. Her yes meant openness to suffering in the future. 
And, and that's a great model for us. And she shows us how to suffer. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and we have other models too. We have Paul. Mm -hmm. You know, Paul was struggling with what, what he called a thorn in the, in the side. And he says, I entreated the Lord, get rid of it. You know, Three times. Yeah, <laughs> what kind of medication can you give me here, you know? It's a little bit more uh, than Advil. For, for <laughs> this. And the Lord answers back, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. And St. John Paul said the same thing. He said, it's in the midst of weakness that the springs of divine power gush. Yeah. Right. They gush right. forth right in the, this is opposite of the way the world That's thinks. Right. That's right. And the yeah. That's it's, it's, it's perfect love drives out weakness. We have to remember it's not our perfected love, it's love. Mm -hmm. The perfection of which is, is Christ that drives out fear. And if we cling to Christ, cleave to Christ, then it's not as if we keep suffering at bay, but we're able to permit him to enter into that suffering and together we redeem it, yeah. we sanctify it. Yeah. It becomes a setting for grace. You know, I, I have seen this as you have in life experience, you know, it was when my wife suffered miscarriages and entered into a darkness and grief God used that to open her up to the Blessed Virgin Mary and to the Catholic faith. It was, you know, suffering in my dad's case in the last year of his life that just shattered decades of agnosticism mm -hmm. and made him like a little child who learned how to pray. And as he said, you know, Scott, I don't pray like you, but I'm praying for the first time in my life. And more recently, my mother too, through suffering, it was just, it opened up her heart, not only to God in a way that we were like, wow, but to my sister and to me and to others, you know, yeah. And it, it, it's a, the school of suffering is what none of us can afford to drop out of, so you know, right. but all of us want to. Yeah. And yet God accomplishes so much more in our weakness than with our strength and success. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. If, if we're all enrolled in the same school of suffering, <laughs> uh, some of us may not graduate. Uh, and maybe you could tell us, what do we need to uh, advance to the next level? Well, you know, I know we've all, we all have suffered. And I think that in uh, the early uh, 2001, I think it was, when I went through the problems with my neck, it was, it was, it was very, very, very intense suffering. And mm -hmm. I, to be honest with you, life was good before that. Life still is. But I never suffered like that before. And that became the school to draw me closer to Christ. And, mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and it answered, it started to answer the question that I had. You know, I was a former Protestant pastor and I wrestled with certain scriptures and one of them, which we should probably go a little deeper into is Colossians 1.24, oh. which says, you know, Paul says, I rejoice in my suffering. Yeah. Well, right there, we weren't on the same page. Right? <laughs> you know, I rejoice yeah. in my suffering for your sake. So he's saying, I'm suffering, I'm rejoicing, this for your sake, and I'm filling up in my body that which is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. And I thought there must be a Greek word that doesn't mean what we think, you know, yeah, of. That's bad, bad translation. Yeah. Right, right. And, and I'm thinking, well, did Jesus rise from the dead, go to the Father and say, I, I got to tell you something. I only did 98%. <laughs> I need Paul to make up a difference. <laughs> exactly. And Scott and Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, and, and so, no, obviously he didn't. And that, and that is the question. And that, that, that a lot of the great teachers of the church had to answer. St. Augustine, St. John Paul II. What was lacking? What was lacking? If he paid the definitive price, if he paid that ultimate price, what could possibly be lacking in the sufferings of Christ. And does that have anything to do with me? And I would contend, and I would argue that it does, and that there is, there is a lack of understanding among many Christians today about the intimacy and the link between the head and the body yeah. and the mission and uh, suffering. Yeah. 
That's right. it. That's I mean, in a nutshell, the idea is not that Christ didn't suffer enough, but what was lacking is the suffering of Christ's love as the head of the body has to be reproduced in all of the arms and legs and all of the members the of the body, body in us. Amen. It's lacking Amen. in us. Right. And we'll pick this up on the uh, next segment of Franciscan University Presents. Jeff talks about how our suffering doesn't only have to be the really large things. Like suffering doesn't have to just be cancer or being paralyzed, but instead it can be our everyday lives. Every time our day is not quite ideal, that is an opportunity for us to suffer with Christ and to offer that suffering for those that we love. When we encounter suffering in our lives, we often treat it as a problem as something to be solved, but it's really a mystery, a mystery that we're invited to enter into. And the answer for our suffering isn't facts, but it's a person. It's a person of Jesus Christ who invites us into his suffering. He invites us to stand at the foot of the cross with him. I am a communication arts major, the president of Film Club, and an editor for Franciscan University Presents. It's really great to be able to work on Franciscan University Presents because it is a national television show on EWTN, and in a lot of other schools you're not going to have that kind of ability to put that on a resume. When I graduate, I know that I'm going to, to be firm in sticking with my faith and you know going to daily mass and a frequent confession and things like that, because instead of just learning with my mind or just focusing on schoolwork, I, I actually you know, can grow with my whole person. Franciscan University is academically excellent and passionately Catholic. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. This entire program springs forth from the very heart of Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. Our students are operating the camera and equipment. Um, we're here in the Communication Arts Studio. Our, our panelists, our faculty here at Franciscan University. Uh, Jeff, in the last segment, um, it, it really, this is, this is so pertinent to, to everybody out there. Nobody can avoid it, no matter what they do, no matter how much money they have, whatever their position in life but you talked about how we make up for what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. And I think that's the crux of the Catholic understanding of, of suffering. Mm -hmm. um, but but let's, let's go deeper into how do we live this in our daily life as a Christian? Sure. What does this really mean? Because is there, I mean, because we've talked about it, but is there real meaning? Is there purpose in suffering? And, and what do we the do? The quick answer is yes. There is meaning in our suffering because we are in Christ. And Christ brought meaning to suffering. He, that is deep meaning, yeah, Christ's suffering yeah. for us. And I think it gets back to, first of all, you've got to look at the relationship between the mystical body, the church, and the head. Yeah. That this is not a decapitated head off doing his own thing, yeah. and we're simply learning about him. But suffering is not just acknowledging that there's meaning, but it's a participation in his mission and his work. Therefore, we are, we are connected. Some groups of people today that our audience are familiar with would say, he paid it all. He did everything. He is the healer. He is the, the counselor. He's the intercessor. He's the judge. He died for our sins. Yeah, and all we do is we receive. Yeah. We yeah. receive. And that's a nice position By to be in. By faith alone. Yeah. By faith alone. That's a nice right. position to be in. Obedience. Problem is, it's not biblical. Yeah. Uh, Peter mentions over and over, you will share in his glory if you suffer with him. So the, the Catholic view, the biblical view, I, I would say, is that, yes, he did all of that. But as the bride and the groom, the head and the body, he shares everything in his, in his mission with us. For example, 
there is one intercessor, yet he shares his intercessory role with us. Mm -hmm. He opens the door to the Father, yet he, he gives us a fatherly role with priests and the family. He is the judge, but we will be participating. And he also suffered for, our, for us, mm -hmm. and now he says, I'm going to give you an opportunity to participate in this suffering. That's and the term. That's the key. Because, you know, the, the razor's edge is, it's not substitutionary right. primarily, it's participatory. Yeah. Yeah. If it were substitutionary, then he suffers, he dies, so we don't have to, and yet we still do. Why? Yeah. Well, it's because it wasn't substitutionary. I mean, he is a substitute for Adam who failed, but he does so as a new Adam in whom we participate. Mm -hmm. And it's that notion of participation that Paul and Peter are always getting yeah. us back to. You know, likewise, not just Peter, but in Romans 8, verse 17, you know, all of this good stuff about Abba, Father, the Spirit, you know, groaning, the Spirit, you know, within our hearts telling us that we're children of God, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may be glorified with right. Him. Yeah. You and know? you can take yeah. it even to the, to the extent of, did He die for you? He did. Then why does he tell me to pick up a cross? That's right. Yeah, I thought right. it was done. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, there there is something wonderfully uh, and and even I, I think infinitely elastic about Christ. He, he is so intimately inclusive of everything else. Mm -hmm. He wants to embrace and encompass the entire universe. I'm, I'm reminded of a, a beautiful line from Romano Guardini, who says, "In the experience of a great love, everything that happens." becomes an event related to that love. And what love could be greater than that of, of Christ? He is the incarnation mm -hmm. of love. And so if we're joined to Him, we ought not to be surprised if He invites us to share, to participate in that very love. He creates that space mm -hmm. and welcomes us into that space, but it means we have to put on Christ. We have to be it, an extension. And, and if He says to us, go into all the world and preach the gospel, well, we can look at it as, okay, my role now as a church is I'm just going to go out and yap. Right. I'm going to go out and just tell everybody about it. But it's more than that. It, like you said, it's a complete participation in his life at, at, at every level. Yeah. So I look at that and I say, well, then what's my role? What is my role? And my role, he gives me, uh, St. John Paul II says, he makes room in his suffering for us to participate. And he gives us, I love this word, a particle of the infinite treasure yeah. of God's redemptive suffering. He gives, you got a yeah. particle, I got a particle, you got a, we all got a particle, and we can even use this on loved ones. You know, you quote Margarita du Portol, who speaks of the sacred commerce that is not a contract between God and us out of the marketplace, yeah. you know, this for that. It's a covenant. It, it is a sacred family bond. And so the sacred com commerce has this coinage of love, you know. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. when you look at a coin, you know, you might say, well, what's that building? Well, you turn it over, okay, it's Lincoln. Uh-huh, that explains. <laughs> and there's, there's a sense in which there are two sides of the coin, because on the one hand, suffering without love is, uh, is vain. I mean, suffering without love is unendurable, it's meaningless, and yet on the other hand, love without suffering is warm, fuzzy feelings, a bowl of cherries, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So just as suffering is what proves that love is genuine and perfects and purifies that love, love turns around and really transforms suffering into sacrifice. It transforms pain into passion. And not just in some theoretical or idealistic sense, you know, it's concretized in Christ. You know, before he suffers at Calvary on Friday, he is the Eucharist, he's instituting where he is giving his life before he loses it. Or as Ratzinger would put it, you know, he, 
he turns suffering and death into a prayer, into the holiest sacrifice of all that surpasses the animal offerings. And again, not just for him so that we don't have to, but we receive that cup of blessing precisely so that we can enter Gethsemane and carry the cross. Exactly. Yeah, and, and let, let's get a little practical sure. here. You know, when, when, we, when we talk about, uh, <laughs> sorry, um, but, but thinking about the people who are suffering right now, and some of them very substantially, right. who, who are listening to us, watching us right now, um, whether from your own experience or just mm -hmm. the wisdom you've gained, what, what do we do with our suffering? What, what is it, what is the church, yeah. what, is the, what does Christ ask us? Well, we are, we are asked, you know, St. John Paul II says that not only did Christ's suffering redeem our souls, but it redeemed suffering itself. Mm -hmm. In other words, uh, suffering has new meaning after the cross now. And if we are in Christ and we attach ourselves to Christ and we're in Him, yes. and we're, we are that bride, uh, our suffering is different. So by an act of the will, we say, Lord, I offer this all the way from less than an ideal day to this amazing accident that I just went through or the loss of a loved one. I give you this suffering, I join it to the cross. Our suffering becomes redemptive. And I got a little example, in fact, I remember when I was going through my tough time, you and I spoke an awful lot, and one night, to be honest with you, uh, I, I couldn't take it anymore with the pain in my neck. And I'll, and I'll be more honest with you, I don't think men are good sufferers. <laughs> I, I think no, our wives do a bit. Now he's projecting. <laughs> But, I, but I, I have suffered. I went through three of his classes 20 years ago. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but, but one night I woke up and went downstairs and suffering, physical suffering has a way of, of wearing you down, right. pushing you into the ground. You're nothing, it's not gonna get better. Life doesn't have meaning. And, and you can believe that or not. And I sat on the couch and I was crying. I said, God, please, I said just, how do I do this? How do I offer it up? I know this. But how do I do it? There's got to be something clever. There's got to be, the, you know, a revelation here. And I felt like the Lord was speaking to me, and He gave me a phrase which a shoe company borrowed and took, made a lot of money. And that is, just do it. And I, I said, okay. And I went upstairs to my girl's bedroom. They were sleeping. They're, they don't wake up easy. I went up there, and I knelt down with my arm hurting. I was crying. Knelt down next to my daughter, and I raised my hand. I just said, God. I said, for my daughter, for her, I offer up my suffering for her, for her salvation, for vocation. I offer this up for her, Lord. Mm. I love her. And all of a sudden, I, I put my head down on the pillow next to her, and all of a sudden, this joy rose up inside of me that I had never experienced before as I realized I was loving my daughter the way Christ loves me. I entered into, deep into a, a, an intimate, loving mystery that St. John Paul II says, you can't teach this in the objective. You can't take a class from, from Dr. Han and, and after I go, I get it. I totally get it. It's a vocation. Yeah, Come follow me. Reality. Come follow me. Yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. where you get it. And that's why I'm not a saint, but that's why some of the saints would say, Lord, thank you. Yeah. Because they found something that people on the outside find a mystery. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's the, that's the offering it up. That's, you know, we, we, we use it. I use it sometimes in my house, and you, you, you reference how your mom used it, Get I think. Out of the <laughs> Get out of the kitchen. You know, sometimes we'd say, just, you know, to, to, to stop your complaining, you know, just offer it up. But there really is so much power in that. And, you know, when, when we, it's sometimes it's easy to think about it mm -hmm. uh, beforehand, and sometimes, you know, afterwards, you know, oh, I should have done that. Well, to, know, to offer it up is, a, is an active, passionate, Right. Verb. Yeah. yeah. What you just explained, too, turns people from victim psychology. 
I mean, there is a sense in which Jesus is a victim, but there's a deeper sense in which he's the victor. And so when you accept and when you rejoice and when you give thanks and when you unite it to loved ones who are suffering, and even sometimes to people out there who aren't necessarily loved by others, you know, uh, that's the victory. You know, yeah. there is victimhood, but even more, there is that victory. And I would go, I go, uh, I would add to that that the cross is a mystery to the world. In fact, it's foolishness that's to the world. For us, it's 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 it's, Folly, it's, yeah. it's great. And think about it for a minute. How different we are. We just celebrate every year uh, the triumph of the cross, feast of the triumph of the cross. Now think about it for a second. The Messiah, the Son of God, is beaten. He is mocked. Mm. He is stripped. They nail him to wood publicly. He is dying. He dies, and we call this triumph. Yeah, we call this Friday good. Victory. Yeah. Yeah. Triumph. There's a, a passage in Cicero where he tells his countrymen, you must never think of the cross. Crucifixion is so brutal, so ignominious that no Roman mm -hmm. should ever think about it. Mm -hmm. So shameful. And you're right. I mean, the founder of our religion was nailed to this cross, and it becomes a symbol of liberation. A triumph. A triumph. And, and so they right. say, well, he says, now you pick up your cross. I say, well, I don't want to triumph. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, this gets back to, though, a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, because it wasn't simply obedience to 613 commandments that you add up in the Torah. It is, you know, what, what the Christ team is all about. He became obedient even unto death, even death on the cross. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but again, not just to endure to show, you know, but to endure to transform our crosses, because yeah. our meager afflictions would have no redemptive power in, in and of right. themselves, but when you're right. united to Christ, right. they take on something. They, they, they have this capacity. So he's not exempting us from right. suffering. Right. He's enabling us to suffer, but he also endows our suffering with a kind of divine capacity, a redemptive value that it would never have on itself. I like to call that heavenly cash. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Jeff, the example that you cite of, of your daughter, that is so moving. Yes. Uh, and in a way, I'm reminded of two people in love. They stand before each other, and they're really entitled to ask the other, how far are you prepared to go to demonstrate your love? Will you go all the way to the cross yeah. for me? And if they can't say yes, then it's really not harsh, dreadful love, as Dostoevsky reminds us. It's love in dreams. Mm -hmm. It's sentimental. It's soft syrup. It's not sacrificial. And I think you illustrate by that example the extent to which you're prepared to suffer for those you love. And that's really, that's salvific. And, and so I can tell you, in the midst of it, there was a happiness. Yeah. So yeah. W what are some, some helps or some aids, uh, some things that might help us for, when we're in the midst of our suffering? Well, you know, there's a, there's a lot, and uh, there's a lot of, of aids. One is, um, is that in the Mass, when, uh, mm. where the ultimate sacrifice takes place, we're invited to join Him. And I love what uh, um, uh, one bishop said one time, um, Bruskowitz said, he said that it's the great exchange. Yeah. It's the great exchange. Yeah. And we bring our bread and our wine, yeah. and he gives us his body and blood. And we bring our week's triumph and our week's you know, suffering, and he changes everything. Right. And that's the wonderful place. So I would say be aware in Mass about the great exchange, as oh, Bishop Bruskowitz so, so well said. Uh, another thing is that, that uh, study the lives of the saints. 
Mm. because these are people who graduated from the school. (laughs) And they've got something to say about it. Mother Teresa, who said, and the world is giving her awards, and she's speaking at Harvard, and uh, she's changing the world, the Nobel Peace, everything, you know? And in the middle of it, she's suffering. She had something to say about it. Fifty years of darkness, as we found out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And triumph. Amen. Amen. Stay with us for the final segment of Franciscan University Presents. Just because you go through suffering doesn't mean God has abandoned you. And it's actually a sign of favor because we're able to offer that suffering up in union with Christ for the salvation of souls. When I was working in a medical office, there was a young man, young father in his mid-30s, and he was suffering from excruciating back pain. He was always coming in. And one of the times he came in, I could tell he was suffering more. And I had a chance to ask him privately, like, do you believe in God? Do you believe in Christ? And he said, yes, I do. I'm like, well, Jesus died on the cross for us, right? And he suffered, right? He's like, yes. He's like, well, just as Jesus's suffering is valuable, your suffering is valuable. And you can offer up that suffering as a prayer for your children. You can offer it for whatever it is that you need. And as I said that, the light bulb went on and it changed his whole face. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents, our final segment. We've been talking to author and speaker Jeff Cavins about suffering. Um, Regis, can you start us off? Yeah, uh, I I think of life as a journey. Uh, That, I think, is a very apt image, uh, uh, an effective metaphor. Uh, And if life is a journey and it's pockmarked by pain, marked by uh, episodic bouts with misery, seeming meaninglessness, then uh, surely I'm further along in the journey than, than any of you. Uh, so I remember the 1960s. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when I came of age. Not only do I remember them, I was there. I experienced them. And I'll never forget uh, the first uh, philosophy course I, I, I took. Uh, this uh, scrawny, scruffy guy came in not even wearing a tie and perhaps not even shoes. And he had this uh, this book bag and he tossed it down on the table and he turned to us, these cowering freshmen who had never had a philosophy course, and he said, okay, you have two choices. You can either be a pig satisfied or you can be Socrates dissatisfied. And you've got five minutes to make up your minds. We decided, (laughs) yeah, we want to be Socrates. And he said, you have chosen wisely, but in the end, it will kill you. And suffering is like that. In the end, it will kill you. But if you love anything, you're going to suffer. I mean, C.S. Lewis says, even if your love extends only as far as a dog, that dog is going to break your heart because you love the dog. Socrates loved the truth, and it got him executed in the end. So whatever you love, that entails suffering. And if God is pure love, then imagine the extent of his suffering, the depth, the incomprehensible depth of his suffering, and it goes on eternally from inside the Trinity. This love is a pathos, an an openness to the other in suffering. And so when he steps outside the Trinity to create and redeem a world, he enters into its suffering. And your book, I think, uh, illustrates so well the principle that it's possible to draw grace and strength from suffering if you constantly refer back to this redemptive figure, 
this ragged figure who moves uh, in the back of our minds, Jesus the Christ. Mm -hmm. And because of his suffering, we're able to bear it. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Regis. Scott? You know, this is where a little theology goes a long way, and, and really good theology in some ways I think is the best way to enter into suffering. And yet, as Lewis points out in The Problem of Pain, you know, you can theologize about suffering until you begin to suffer, you know, <laughs> and then the lights go off. And I think it's helpful to realize that because though we know resurrection awaits us, we know there is Easter Sunday after the Good Friday. Nevertheless, we have the physical pain that we've been discussing. We also have the agony by watching our loved ones go through sickness and pain and mm -hmm. death. But I think there's another kind of pain that is also redemptive in a sort of unexpected or counterintuitive way, and that is the alienation that we feel from our loved ones, the estrangement that we have as parents from our kids. I've gone through this in different ways with all six of our kids. Thank God we are now, in a sense, really united like we never were before, but not in spite of the, the estrangement. There's a sense in which God took me as a father through my oldest, my firstborn, in his teen years, and showed me, look, Scott, this is how I was fathering Israel. This is how I father you. You're willful, you're wayward, you know, and wow. And the more I allowed God to father me, the more I was able to enter into the willful waywardness of my son and crawl back into his cave and reconnect with him like God had done with me. And then that set up a, a, a chain reaction with all of the kids because there were different caves, there were different sources of alienation. But I think so many people who watch this just think, yeah, but my divorce, yeah, but my kids, my in-laws or whatever. And I think that is the deepest and most Christ-like cruciformity where you're dying for people you love who've turned on you and yet you enter into the heart of Jesus and Mary. I think more sometimes that way. And you know, a little theology goes a long way, but you have to pray. Or other, you know, it just stays in the head, it doesn't go down to the heart. But your book, by the way, thank you for writing it. Yeah. And I hope it gets read by a lot of people, because mm -hmm. all of us need it. Yeah. Amen. I know I do. Uh, Jeff? Well, I would say, you know, kind of a, a practical wrap-up for me is that, uh, you know, a lot of people think that, uh, well, I don't know theology well, I don't know the Bible really well or the catechism really well, and, and I'm stuck with the suffering. And since I don't know all of that, as you were mentioning, a little theology goes a long way here. If I don't know all of that, what am I going to do? And if you look to the saints, the saints were, the saints, a lot of them were not, didn't have book knowledge. They had cross knowledge. And they had an intimacy with God where they learned this, not on a page, but on the pavement. And, and I would suge suggest that people um, do what the saints did. And if you are suffering in your heart or mm. physically, just do it. Do mm. what? Just offer up your suffering in union with Christ knowing He has redeemed your suffering. It has become valuable. And you have now a, a treasure, a particle of the infinite treasury of God's redemption, and you can do something with it. A lot of men feel like, well, I can't teach my children this or that. But you know what? The suffering can be offered up for your children. If you're worried about your children yeah. and where they're going to go, don't waste the opportunity. The, you know, the, uh, Archbishop, Ful or Archbishop Fulton Sheen said that the hospitals are wa filled with wasted suffering. Yeah. Don't waste your suffering. Use it for practical love things, your loved ones and your pastor for your own holiness and so forth. And the ultimate fear is death. The ultimate fear is death. And I love what, what, our, what, what Bishop Fulton Sheen said. I love it. He said, the reason 
we're so afraid of death is because we have not practiced for it. Yeah. And, and he said, if you were to practice by mortifying the flesh, picking up your cross, dying to yourself daily as Paul did, when you come to that final hour, been there, done that <laughs> many times, right. start practicing. Yeah. Amen. Amen. You know, it's not just suffering that God needs to heal us from. It's the fear of suffering mm -hmm. that he needs to heal us from. Yes. I mean, Sheen put it that way also. Yeah, yeah I love yeah, that stuff. That's beautiful. Well, if you've enjoyed today's segment, uh, this has just really been awesome. Uh, when you suffer, you want to get Jeff's book. Uh, but for, for just asking, we have a free handout for you. It's, uh, it's chapter 9, uh, 10 Things to Do in the Midst of Suffering. This is going to be a huge help to you. Great pa practical insights, uh, you know, 10 areas that you can really go deeper in, uh, in in the midst of suffering. You can get it at faithandreason.com or just for calling us. Um, just to kind of reemphasize uh, Jeff's last point, we need to practice. We need to practice suffering, even in the smallest of ways. Uh, maybe it's 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 the the, you, the sugar that you take out of your coffee, or whatever it might be. The little things that will teach us how to embrace the bigger ones in our lives, because those big ticket uh, sufferings will be coming. Um, and and when you're in the midst of your suffering. Um, get out of yourself. Uh, you know, I, I think that, that in this year of mercy, this jubilee of mercy, we're called to suffer with others. And um, in your suffering, if you don't know what to do with it, serve others, you know, both by offering but by being with them. And, and lastly, the, uh, if we're still struggling, um, Father Benedict Rochelle gave this advice at a funeral once. He said, you know, sometimes we, we wonder, um, you know, why God? Why? And he says, that's the wrong question to ask. The question is to ask what? What, Lord, do you want me to do with this suffering? How to, how to deal with this, how to grow, how to come closer to you? Um, those are the things that I think we need to really look at and go deeper uh, during this year. Um, Franciscan University's mission is to educate, to evangelize, and send forth joyful disciples. And I want to invite you to be a member and a partner with us in this mission. Um, maybe it's by taking classes here on our campus in Steubenville, Ohio, or maybe through our online programs. Or maybe you could join us at one of our dynamic summer conferences that are just awesome. Um, or on, on some of our pilgrimages, going to the holy shrines throughout the world or going to faithandreason.com, a place to be equipped and educated and inspired for the new evangelization. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. To download the free handout on today's topic, go to faithandreason.com. Email your request for the handout to presents at franciscan.edu. At faithandreason.com, you can also purchase past episodes of Franciscan University Presents or request today's free handout and purchase past programs by calling 888-333-0381. That's 888-333-0381 or call 740-283-6357.